When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast, episode 39, St. David. Happy belated St. David's Day to everyone from our little podcast. Uh, obviously, the big day was a couple of days ago now, but we published on a Friday, so I wanted to keep to that. But in honor of St. David and to mark the specialness of this almost national holiday, uh, I wanted to talk about his life. And it fits in currently with our current discussions about the 6th century, because, of course, St. David was alive during the 6th century. And we haven't really talked about him yet. And it's a good idea, I think, to cover him because of the importance he has in the national mythology of Wales. So let's get to it, shall we? So the history of the patron saint is one mystery that was caught up in a collection of stories to prove the worth of the great man in an argument about the primacy of the Welsh church with Rome. His story is filled with legendary accomplishments like St. Patrick, and much like him, he is seen as someone outside of religious circles as being an image of national pride and unity. So let us talk about the story of David. Keep in mind that sources here are not without dubious descriptions and embellishments, and that we can appreciate that within this commentary lies a grain of truth that it was built from initially. Most of our historical understanding of David comes from the life of St. David, which these collections of saints' lives are not to be taken as obvious truth because they're, they're faith texts. They're about building your faith in a saint. So they're going to be religious in nature. They're going to talk about miracles. They're going to talk about things that aren't necessarily accurate, but from a faith standpoint, they are, and they're important. So I won't belittle them, but keep that in mind when we're talking history. We're not talking about accurate history, as we would normally call it. So, let's begin the story, shall we? David is believed to have been born near the present-day city that now bears his name in Pembrokeshire, southwest Wales. The exact year of his birth is unknown, with estimates ranging as early as 462 and as late as 515. Some say that he lived to be 100 years old, others not quite that. Nonetheless, this goes back to the same problem we've always had with the 6th century and 5th centuries. Things are not clear. So, much of what we do know about his life comes from Rigavarch, uh, who is an early 11th century author who wrote The Life of St. David that we get all this information from. And like many of the lives of saints were written after the fact, and in this case, of course, much after the fact, and are filled with angelic and holy events marking their divine calling, but, as I said earlier, may have little truth attached to them. So, what we know is that David was born to an aristocratic family. He's purported to be the son of a king. David was born in Kerfai in Pembrokeshire to Sant, 
and who is a prince of Cardigan, and Saint Nun, the daughter of a chieftain in and around, as we said, around somewhere in the vicinity of 500 A.D. Um, Nun is was made a saint at some point later, and is considered to be, in some of the stories, she may have even been raped, uh, and that she resisted him initially. Uh, and because of it, she became a nun and was later canonized or made a saint. His mother is said to have given birth on a cliff top in the middle of a violent storm. The birthing process was said to have been so intense and so fraught that her fingers left marks on the grass, marks on the rock of, from her grasping onto the rock. As David was born, a bolt of lightning from heaven is said to have struck the rock, splitting it in two. Uh, another little side note to this is, is that... Uh, Fascinatingly, 20 years earlier, St. Patrick, visiting this same area, predicted the birth of David. So, again, you can kind of see where the um, legendary aspects of it come from. Non named her son Duith, though local Daifaid pronunciation meant that he was commonly called Dewey. Brought up by his mother in uh, Henfenur, near Abereron, David is said to have been baptized at the nearby uh, Porthclase by St. Elvis of Munster. Um, yeah, like I said, take this as we discuss it. Um, it's This is all gets really kind of mythological as we go, so keep this all in mind. David was educated at a monastery, usually taken to be Whitland in Carmarthenshire under St. Paulinus of Wales. David healed his tutor from blindness. And this is something that he had also accomplished previously with his baptismal water, splashing in the eyes of a blind monk and automatically made him see. These are the miracles that we're talking about that were supposed to show the signs of his sainthood. Uh, this miracle encouraged Paulinus to commend David to become a missionary, and he sent him off to preach to the pagan people of Wales, of Britain. Soon after reaching adulthood, David was ordained a priest, and he worked first in Wales and then later in West England in Brittany and is also believed to have visited Rome and Jerusalem, or at least that's the contention. He is said to have founded 12 monasteries in southern Wales during the course of his travels. Um, he's also said to have lived in Brittany, to have established things there and in Cornwall and all sorts of places like that. The idea of him traveling to Jerusalem and Rome was key to the political arguments of the 11th century rather than the truth of the 6th century. So understand that this does have a tendency to kind of give us the context that it's in, much like Arthur, right? St. David's got a bunch of things wrapped around him, and this is one of those things. Uh, as a monk, David believed in the simple life. His monks rose at dawn to pray, afterwards worked in fields around the monastery. They had to pull the plows themselves. They were not allowed to use animals. Um, this was a very aesthetic lifestyle, which in that period of time was very common for monks to espouse to, this idea of totally cutting yourself off from the riches and wealth of the world and the normal things that you do. And so the idea of being so austere was not something that was unexpected or unknown. The, the monks that served with him were expected to remain silent unless praying or in an emergency. They ate only bread and vegetables and drank nothing but milk and water. David himself only drank water. 
His extreme principles and his brilliant speaking brought him a number of followers, but it also brought him a few problems, uh, as it didn't always go that well, since some monks uh, rebelled against what he demanded of them, and apparently he is supposedly have been poisoned by some of them. But luckily for him, uh, St. Scythian is said, and other accounts he's named as St. Aidan, uh, to have warned him in the of this danger after traveling from Ireland, apparently on the back of a sea monster. S yeah. Uh, it was also said that David ate the poison bread nonetheless after blessing it, and of course came to no harm. He was a monk, an abbot, and a bishop, who then later became the Archbishop of Wales. David did much to spread the Christian word throughout the land. He was active in suppressing Pelagianism, uh, which we discussed before, this idea that uh, original sin didn't count, and that we could avoid it through uh, being better and being more holy. And, and this kind of thing was considered to be an anthema to Christians of orthodox nature, because then it, it would take away one of the reasons why Jesus Christ needed to sacrifice himself, because original sin, sin was one of the things he had to overcome. So, in other words, it was taking away from his accomplishments, so they didn't appreciate it very much. Um, but the fact that this is still kicking around a hundred years after Germanicus is kind of interesting. And it does make one wonder it, whether or not this is a little late for this kind of stuff, and that it just kind of became associated with it because it's good to associate him with defeating heresy. Um, he founded a monastery in and around 550 AD, and that's the area where St. David's Cathedral now stands today. The most famous story related to St. David occurred when he was preaching to a large crowd at the Synod of Flandui, Brefi. Uh, one of the crowd shouted, We won't be able to hear or see him! And so David, on the ground he stood on, is said to have risen up so that he was standing, instead of just on the flat ground, was now on a hill, and then could be heard and seen by all. David's last recorded words appeared in a Sunday sermon. Uh, and Ries Gifarch, if you're like me and eating healthy is a bit of a problem, let me bend your ear a little bit to eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Kato, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggies. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors ready-to-eat meals, so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. Also, if you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 and use the code welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code welshhistorypod50 at factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50. 
to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. Himself, the son of a later Bishop of St. David, records the words as, Be joyful and keep your faith and your creed. Do the little things which you have seen me do and heard about. I will walk the path that our fathers have trod before us. He's said to have died on Tuesday, March 1st, 589. In the week after his final sermon, he was buried in the ground of his monastery, which was said to have been filled with angels as Christ received his soul. It was said David's gift from, of speech came from the Holy Spirit, which is why often when you see St. David's uh, image, he has doves around him, usually on his shoulder. Dove, of course, being a sign of the Holy Spirit. Uh, another famous story is the reason Welsh people wear leeks is in remembrance of St. David's guidance during the battle against the Saxons, when supposedly St. David advised the Welsh warriors to wear the leek during battle with the Saxons so that the enemies and allies could dis be distinguished. Of course, they then won this battle later on. Uh, now, to go back a little bit to the history of everything, the political maneuvering at least worked to some extent. For the Welsh, as David was officially recognized by the saint, by, as a saint by Pope Calictus in 1123, at one point it was said that two pilgrimages to St. David were worth one to the Vatican, and if you visited there three times, it was worth as if you went to the Holy Land itself. Throughout the Middle Ages, David's shrine became a popular destination for pilgrims, and because of this exact issue, and after his uh, canonization, it, his feast day became important, and obviously March 1st being a very important day in Wales, even up to today. In the 15th century, during the war, Wars of Welsh Independence, Owen Glyndiwr linked St. David with his own nationalistic appeal, and whereas in the past Bangor had always been sort of the central sea of the church in Wales, he started to look south and swung that notion towards St. David's, and likely in part to build unity between the southern Welsh and northern Welsh, because of course, uh, as we'll discuss in the future, uh, Glyndor's revolt happens in North Wales initially, and he has to win support in South Wales. And one of the ways that I think he does that is appeal to their saint, which is a key point for them. Um, 
St. David's history, of course, then leads us into a discussion about the actual day itself and how it's been recognized. Uh, the feast day was kept during, obviously, during the Catholic period, but in the Reformation, uh, the Puritans attacked and burned most of the books that marked St. David's life and marked his, his liturgy, and in doing so, destroyed quite a lot of what was there. It's, it's, it's one of those things that you sit there and you wonder how humans are so stupid because it, it destroyed a lot of amazing records that we could have had today, but in their zeal to, to destroy the Catholic Church, to prove their faith in God, they destroyed this history and destroyed this record of it, which is incredibly sad and unfortunate. And we see examples of that even today with iconoclasty being done by groups like ISIL, where they'll destroy buildings and destroy towns even over their obsession about, you know, purifying the place. So it's not like this notion has gone away. It still exists even historically today. It's very sad. It's something that we, we would, I would hope we would eventually overcome, but at the moment it's something that we still deal with today. Now personal story. My first real experience with St. David's Day, fundamentally first experience, was when we moved to Wales. My kids went to school, of course, in Wales. For those of you who have never been there, they do mark St. David's Day. It is something that's celebrated. It's not as chaotic, I guess, or as, or as boisterous as St. Patrick's Day, obviously. If you're in North America and you know anybody who's Irish during St. Patrick's Day, you know that they have a much different sort of celebration it's much more lively, I guess would be the word I would use, compared to what I, I saw with St. David, David's Day in Wales, which St. David's Day in Wales is tied a lot to the nationalism, and it's tied a lot to the pride that everyone feels of being Welsh. It's not as much about other things to do with it. You know, you don't get pinched for not wearing red uh, and things of that nature. But our kids, for example, when they would go to school... Um, because my older boys were the ones that were in school at the time in Wales, they would wear rugby shirts or they would wear sort of traditional clothing. The girls typically wore traditional clothing um, or they wore red shirts or those kind of things or, you know, all those kind of like symbols of Wales. And as well tied to it, of course, is the Welsh arts. And the Eisteffod is a large portion or has largely become important as a cultural event in its being tied to March 1st and, and the patron saint. And obviously it goes beyond that, a long way beyond that. But I think there's a lot of things that in Wales, because of the loss of control of political administration, became important because they were like the last vestiges of what kept Wales, Wales. And so St. David's important. The language is important. Owen Glyndwr is an important figure. Llewellyn the Last and Llewellyn the Great are important figures in Welsh history and in and into Welsh people today. It's just one of those things that continues to be critical to the national mythology, the national identity. And I think it's a good thing. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with nationalism within its own right. It's just how you practice it, how you, you know, what, what your end goal is out of this whole thing. 
And St. David's life and example, I think, gives us something to look at which establishes the idea of the Christianity of Wales. He's not like Patrick where he's bringing Christianity to Wales. It already existed when David was born. And it was strong enough at that time that he, they didn't need him because they'd had hundreds of years of being Christians. Now, the idea that he went to pagans in Britain is an interesting discussion of, in and of itself because who were the pagans he was sent to? Um, at this point, largely, there probably were still Britons who were very much pagan. We discussed in the past that Christianity was largely the church of the trade, the markets, the civilization of Roman Britain, but not necessarily the rural areas. And so thus he would have a lot of influence on the rural population who may or may not have started to follow the Christian example. His aesthetic lifestyle, like I said before, was not something unusual in that era. Augustine is around in that time period. There's there's a lot of monks that are starting to look at ways of getting away from the insanity that was going on in the world and, and trying to figure out ways to connect with the divine. And so one of the ways to do that was to get away from worldly concerns. So you push off everything, and that includes food, that includes clothing, that includes everything. And slowly you see these monks change over the years. And But in a way, the Davidic monks look and sound a lot like, or sound might be the wrong word, but they look or and, and seem to feel like the monks that we think of when we think of church monks. You know, the, the ones that don't talk and are very circumspect and pray a lot and wear rough-hewn clothes and, and live a lifestyle which is very plain. And very much that kind of idea has gone into this discussion about David. Now, of course, we don't know legitimately that that's truthfully what David was like in life. The reality of it is he could have been very different. Gildas doesn't ever mention him, even though Gildas was living at the same time period. Certainly within a few years of one another, he may have been a much junior person within the church, but it does make one wonder if he's one of the people that Gildas is condemning in his writings. But probably if if David lived till 589, as it's said he did, likely he's too young at that point to be the, the reason why Gildas is upset. But I think as we mark the day and, and remember how important it is as a national holiday, in especially after the Celtic revival of the 17 and 1800s, it's definitely taken on a bigger significance again from where it used to be. And I think we appreciate that because it gives us an opportunity to remember and, and celebrate Welsh culture, Welsh identity, and generally Welsh heritage. And I think it's something that's worth remembering. And I think it's just as, as important as St. Patrick's Day and just as important as any national holiday like an Independence Day in the United States or Canada Day in my own country. It's something worth remembering, worth marking. And not that I'm purporting to uphold this idea, but I do believe in the, the concept that we should... It should be a national holiday in Wales. It shouldn't be just sort of a side holiday that gets celebrated in the schools. I think it's an important enough day that it should be marked by everyone. And, you know, I think the majority of the population in Wales believes that too. All the polls they've done on this has always spoke to that idea. So 
as we go past into the new month, I would commend everybody and have a happy week. And I hope your St. David's Day was good. I hope you had an opportunity to sample or examine some of the Welsh culture that's out there in your area, if there is some. Uh, and if not, have a look online and see what you can find out because there's lots and lots of information out there and there's lots of cool things. You can listen to Estefad's, uh both past and present, and they're well worth listening to. There's some amazing singers and performers that are there, and yes, it's all in Welsh for the most part, but you can get and glean from them the importance that they are and how important they are to people. And we'll talk way more about all this later. But for now, let me just leave it at that. And I wish you all a good day. And if you would like to follow me on Twitter, I am at Welsh History Pod. You can reach and comment at Welsh History Podcast at gmail.com. You can go to our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Welsh History Podcast. And as always, you can always find out everything we're doing with Distractions Media at distractionsmedia.com. We have tons of different things and activities we do, including podcasts, including videos, including uh, live streaming, all sorts of fun stuff. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you have a great day and take care. Bye. This has been a Distractions Media production. For more information, you can check out everything we do at distractionsmedia.com. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.